Hey, welcome to Valley Lights Church Online. My name is Bruce. I'm the lead pastor here. And we are in a series called Teaming Together. We've got these seven core values as a church that we call the heart attitudes. And the first four we looked at week by week uh, over the past few months. And those are values that help us relate well to individuals. And these last three we're looking at in this series that really help us know how to relate to an organization or a group that we're part of. And overall, these values create, uh, for, they create an environment for really enjoyable relationships and teams that can really accomplish a lot. When I was considering different places to start a church, you know, our church is relatively new, uh, we had a few options. I was praying a lot and getting as much advice and wisdom as I could about where to start a new church. And uh, there was even a, a place in Florida that uh, there was a place they were looking for a pastor, and the church building was paid for, very, very, um, a lot of equity in that property, totally paid for, and some resources that came along with that. There were places in Northern California I had been considering places where uh, the cost of living was less. And we ended up here in Southern California, <laughs> not just Southern California, but Santa Clarita. And, uh, you know, ultimately the place that we picked, it wasn't, it didn't just come down to my choice. It was very clear that God was uh, calling us specifically to this city. But you might agree if you've lived any amount of time here that this, that there's less expensive places you could go than Santa Clarita. And so, naturally, one of my concerns thinking about moving here and starting a church was, how are we going to finance this project? And, you know, personally, my rent nearly tripled when we moved in. And as a church, you know, I'm thinking, we're starting in the middle of COVID. Uh, it was a time when churches couldn't even be gathering in person, or there was a lot of lockdowns and all that. And like, is this, is this crazy from a financial standpoint for us to be starting this right now. And there was one point when I was coming out on a scouting trip with my senior pastor at the time, and he was um, really had a lot of, I really wanted his input on, I thought God was calling us to this city, and I wanted to get some confirmation from him by scouting the city together. And I remember we were driving into Santa Clarita for the first time together, and this was his first time exploring the city. And as we were Getting off the freeway, it was uh, McBean. We were getting off the five on, at McBean and driving in, into the city to begin exploration. And as we were, we got a phone call from a friend, actually another pastor of a church in our network. And he had said that uh, he, their, their church, actually their whole church wanted to uh, give $10,000 towards our plant. And that was just a no-strings-attached gift to helping the work get off the ground. And it, I was blown away. I was like, that's so incredible. And as we talked about it, as Josh and I experienced that, that time of scouting, uh, we, we concluded it, it seemed like God was providing some initial confirmation that not only is this the place, but almost as a representation, it, it felt to me like God was saying, when you move here, I will... I, I will provide the resources for the work. And so that was really encouraging. Uh, we received a lot of help financially from a lot of partners and other churches. And uh, that $10,000 we went through pretty fast. 
<laughs> initially. Um, I'm employed full-time to oversee the ministry that goes on here. Uh, we've needed to spend money on our meeting spaces. Where we are currently is pretty expensive. Uh, we buy supplies for kids' classes. We bought sound equipment. Um, there's marketing that needs to go on. We buy food for different events. There's all kinds of just normal things that cost money. And, you know, even though we did have some other supporters initially, I knew that for us to survive as a church long-term, the resources that we would need would probably be in the harvest. <laughs> Meaning, as we reached people and drew a crowd and people began to learn how to walk with God and become followers of Christ, eventually that people would sign on to be a part of God's work. And because of all of this, today we're looking at the sixth core value of our church. And it's, it's hard attitude number six. It's support the work financially. Every person who calls Valley Lights their church home, one of the responsibilities is to provide the money that enables God's work to go on. And God's kingdom is advancing. He causes it to go on, and a lot of it's through churches. And so a person who's maybe deepening their investment or their roots here at this church, and they might ask, someone might ask, what, why does God need my little bit of money? Doesn't he own everything in the universe anyway? And God has certainly provided in some pretty big, amazing ways. He's, I've been surprised, actually, to see the, the, the incredible ways that he's provided for us at key times. And the truth is, God does not need your money. He doesn't need my money. He doesn't need anybody. But rather, God gives us an opportunity to join him in financing his work. It's kind of like our discussion last week on heart attitude number five, which is participate in the ministry. We, uh, that, that, the focus of that message is all about the, way, the many ways we can serve and volunteer and expend ourselves and our time and our energy to help out. We pitch in. God doesn't need our time and our strength. <laughs> Uh, but there is tremendous blessing that flows to you and a lot of other people when each of us gets involved and we actually volunteer our time and our resources. Our volunteer barbecue that we had last week really highlighted that truth. So, you know, in the same way that we don't serve and volunteer in the ministry because we have to, we get to, we get to participate in what he's doing. In the same way, with money, we give because we get to join in what God is doing, in seeing the blessing flow to other people. And even the blessing flows back to us as well. With every heart attitude, every core value that makes our church community what it is, it's not just the action of giving or serving, but really the attitude of the heart. That heart angle which we approach it with is really the thing that makes all the difference. So in both parts of the Bible, we see that God intends that His people will finance his work across the earth. And uh, if you go way back to the history of ancient Israel, the very first people that followed God, in Leviticus, it says, every tenth of the land's produce, grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. It says, every tenth animal from the herd or flock, which passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. The word tithe that appears in these verses is a Hebrew word that means tenth. So a tenth of all the crops and the flocks belong to God. And it also says that that, that portion is holy. 
And that just means those things were set apart for the Lord. Those things were owed to be given back to God. So basically, it was like a tenth of all their income, which was primarily agricultural. It belonged to God and was to be used only for his purposes. And so where did that tenth of their income go? Well, in Numbers it says, look, I have given the Levites every tenth in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work that they do, the work of the tent of meeting. So the tithes were, be, they were to be given to the Levites as payment for the work that they performed, um, those religious duties that they did for the nation. And the tent of meeting, that, that was basically the central place of worship in Israel's early nomadic days. Later on, it became a very big, beautiful stone temple that they were able to build. But even then, uh, everyone tithed, and even the Levites themselves tithed. And you can see some, there's some uh, scripture references here as well. Some additional offerings beyond just the tenth or the tithe. There was other ways throughout the, the operation of the people of God where they would give offerings more, more than just the tenth in order to express their devotion to God. So that was in the Old Testament of the Bible. In the New Testament, after Jesus lived, died, and resurrected, uh, we find a letter from Paul written to the Corinthian church. He wrote to solve a variety of problems, but also to help them understand their financial obligations to God. And so he, Paul, when he writes, he refers to this old Israelite temple and tithe system but he says in 1 Corinthians, hey, don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar? In the same way now, basically nowadays, he says, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. So Paul was instructing the Corinthian church members that they had a responsibility to provide a living income for what we'd probably nowadays call staff members, uh, the people that were earning their living from preaching the gospel. Those were people that spend their work time serving the church. And Paul, you know, he says, the Lord commanded this. And he's referring to when Jesus established this rule in Matthew 10. He trained his disciples and he told them basically that they, they were valid workmen. They were laborers doing real work for him. And so, you know, Jesus says they were to be paid by those to whom they preached, especially in the form of lodging and food at that time. So, fast forward to nowadays, you know, I, I sometimes I think about when I'm online shopping, it takes me a long time to like narrow down what I want to buy. Uh, for example, I like, I love backpacking and uh, if I needed to buy a new pair of hiking boots, I'd spend a lot of time online looking First of all, it's hard to buy like clothing and boots online, but I would check primarily all the reviews for that particular shoe and then the price. And those two things, there's a lot of other things to consider, but those really guide me because I, I really, I really want to get the best deal. I, I want to get a, a quality pair of shoes for the lowest price. And so sometimes I waffle for an agonizingly long time because I'm trying to just get the right, just the right thing. So this actually sometimes that approach sometimes creeps into churches where we might ask, hey, what's, what's the least, like the lowest price? What's like the least I need to contribute in order to get the benefit of being a part of church here? That, 
low price for the best deal approach is sometimes good for shopping, but when it comes to being a part of a church community, it's entirely different. You know, getting by with the lowest amount of contribution is, is a different concern. Our greatest concern should be God himself and his honor and his will for us. So sometimes when it comes to finances and church, our perspective needs a little tweaking. And so here's a few perspectives from the Bible that really help us get our perspective in the right place. First off, my financial gifts are given to God. This is, this is one big perspective shift. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm giving to the uh, church or I'm giving to a person. It, well, when we give to a church or a ministry, we're giving to God. Paul, at one point, he was in prison in Rome, and there was another church in Philippi, a city called Philippi, and they sent a large gift that really helped him with his needs, and he really thanked them in his letter. He said that gift was like a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice that was pleasing to God. So they gave a large financial gift to Paul, but he says it was pleasing to God. And God is pleased with our financial gifts that go towards his work. Another perspective shift is that my gifts really have to be a priority to me. And we see this in a lot of places, but if you look back in that um, historic period of Israel, there was a time when they were all in captivity and they were slowly coming back to their homeland. And as this nation was rebuilding itself, uh, they were really focused on rebuilding their houses and their homes, but neglected the temple, really the place of worship, the place where they would be able to focus on God. And they neglected that. They basically forgot about the Lord because of their own, I'm going to build my house for my family. And there were Haggai and Malachi were prophets that had pointed this out and, and even said that God put a curse on their income. Uh, even the productivity of their farms and their agriculture was stifled because they had neglected God's work. Haggai says this, actually he speaks, speaking for God, he says, give careful thought to your ways. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. Meaning like they expected a lot of income from, from their hard work. You expected much, but it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. That's what God says. Why? Because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withhold their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. So these people who were the people of God, they, they experienced financial and personal problems that were multiplying. And if you've ever, if you've ever experienced financial problems, or personal problems multiplying, you might look into this area. You might consider this. You know, the, these people were working really hard, and because of their hard work, they were expecting a profit. But things were not panning out. You know, where's, where's all the money going? Things didn't change for them until they put God first, and they, they put God's concerns first. So for us, we got to remember, when our financial priorities are out of line, our financial problems start getting worse. That's especially true for those who walk with God and follow Christ. Another perspective shift is that my financial gifts determine what God returns to me. 
Now, this is important to notice because I, I, I think it's amazing that God promises to return blessing back to us when we give because he's under no obligation to give us anything. You know, it all, every, every you know, dollar, every resource, everything belongs to him anyway. So we've got to keep something in mind. God gives us, in return, using the same measure that we give to him. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So there's this real idea of God returns to us with generosity. More, actually, more than what we give. And, uh, but, it, but it's proportional. So if we were to give God a teaspoon, you know, he, he's actually going to return to us a heaping teaspoon amount of blessing back. If we were to give God a, a cup full, he's going to give us a heaping overflowing cup full back. And if we were to give a pickup truck load full of uh, gifts to God, then he'll return a heaping overflowing truckload back. But because it's proportional, we don't get a heaping truckload of blessing when we have just given a teaspoon amount to him in the first place. So someone who gives little to God's work will have a proportional return. It, the return will be good, but not great. The one who gives deeply and sacrificially, his return from God is far better. So we can ask ourselves, what kind of return do I want? The way that I give now determines what God will return to me. And his, the return that comes to us sometimes is financial. Many times there's a corresponding financial blessing, and sometimes there's blessing we receive that shows up in other ways. We can depend on God to give generously, but it will be proportional to the amount that we give. Another important perspective shift is that my gifts require that I have a cheerful heart. Paul also told the Corinthians, he said, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we've got to ask ourselves, how much can I truly give with a cheerful heart? Because it's easy to give with a, a grudging attitude. You know, man, I'm going to give this money, but oh, I what could I have spent it on? Oh, that money's flown out. Or, uh, man, I just feel... I feel like every time I just have this resentment. Well, I don't, I mean, if you were to think about it, I don't know if anybody's ever given you a gift, but they were, were resentful that they had to do it. I mean, it doesn't really feel that great. That same kind of begrudging attitude offends God. So that's why Paul says, hey, decide in your heart what you can give cheerfully. And we've also got to watch out for giving with a greedy motive as well. You know, knowing that God does return generously, that could creep into the motive, but God's not a vending machine, and he will refuse to be treated like one. So our motive when we give is not just to get back, but really to honor him and to move his work forward in the world. Another perspective shift is uh, my gifts, whatever I give, it reveals if I can be trusted. Jesus also taught, taught us in Luke, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? So this other question sometimes bubbles up for us. If I, can I really trust God with my finances? How do I know I'm not going to get ripped off? 
you know, can I trust God? That's the question. But actually, we might turn that question on its head and say, can God trust me <laughs> with my finances? The way that I handle my money, which God has given me in the first place, it provides that answer of whether or not I'm trustworthy. If my pattern of giving shows to God that I'm trustworthy, he will grant true abundance. If I'm not trustworthy, he will not trust me with true wealth. And that true wealth, it, it even goes beyond the material stuff. So I want to give you a quick, uh, I want you to hear from someone in our church that has, has wrestled with this area of giving and really has developed a pattern of, of faithfulness in this area and has shown um, trustworthiness in giving and, and just some of, the, some of the common tensions that we all wrestle with. So take a listen to this. When I very first started giving, it was a, it was a challenge to start giving because, um, you know, not growing up as a Christian, I, I never knew that, you know, Christians did this thing where they give a consistent amount every month. So when I started learning more about it, like it was a, it was a big challenge to like, you know, I, I kind of felt the, the, I felt the push to do it. And, I, and it, like, like I felt God like kind of, you know, trying to kind of tell me, hey, this is something that, you know, is, is how you show your, is one way you show your obedience. That was hard because like, again, that money could go to a lot of different places. We found out one of our family friends is a, is a full-time Christian missionary. Um, she had like, you know, she had said something about how like she survives and like lives off of people's donations. And, uh, you know, my wife and I looked at each other, we're like, oh no, but she's got enough already. <laughs> and then, you know, it just started weighing more and more on me of like, no, I think that we should, like, we should support her and we get, so we finally did. And then to hear the stories back from her of like, how that money has like, changed so many people's lives for the better. It's, it, it, it kind of reminds you of like, that's another reason why we give is because that money is powerful and it, and it can be used for really good things. So I'm like a very avid budgeter. I know where all the money that I spend goes. And so to see, you know, the tithe and, and how much we give to other other places and other people, we, we see that and we're like, you know, that's a lot of money going out. We could, uh, we could you know, live somewhere different or change our living style a little bit. This is what we need to do and this is what we're doing every month. So when we see the money come out, it's, it's like a consistent monthly reminder of who we're trusting in and, and who we've placed our trust in because when we give and then and then God provides those things for us anyways after we had given, it just kind of like reinforces like God wants to provide for us and will provide for us if we continue to trust in Him. And so that's just another way of like, hey, we're trusting you with everything, including our finances. And to see him always come through and follow through with everything we've, we've ever needed is like such a, a great thing to, to see. I think it's really helpful to see the way that Zach has wrestled and really landed on this idea that God can be trusted and we give uh, as we think about that. Let me, let me show you, I also want to show you a little bit of the financial journey of our church right now. So we're, we're a new church. We had our first grand opening in January of last year, so a little bit over a year. And when we started, we had some uh, support, financial supporters that were uh, giving to our church and only a small amount of people that were, you know, from our, you know, in this new church. So more money coming from the outside than there was from the inside. Well, uh, I'll show you a quick graph here where uh, you can see 
you know, some of these, uh, some of these lines are sort of averaged out, but it shows this, this general trend line where um, our outside supporters is uh, overall going down. And then the, the money that's coming from inside, from just people who call Valley Lights their church home, is, is going up. And somewhere around October last year, it actually switched where um, now the money from inside is more than what's coming from the outside. And the whole time, we have needed uh, both streams of income in order for us to operate and survive. And uh, that drop from the outside giving is going to continue to drop because we're, uh, this summer is, is marks the end of two years of us going uh, from receiving support. And some of that drop, some of that support will drop off then. And it's just going to dwindle until, you know, we've, we've got to be standing on our own. And this trend, these trend lines, on one hand, is scary because, you know, the scaffolding, the financial scaffolding that's been holding us up is getting removed. But it's encouraging also because, you know, this graph shows that the, there's an increase of buy-in from our people. And that I, I, I'm honestly encouraged to see that more people are taking responsibility for the ministry here in such a practical way. So I really hope to attain self-sufficiency where uh, when we get to the point when all of the outside support is removed, that we're able to stand and survive. And uh, I'm anticipating that, praying for that, and even we've been even putting away some money, some, and some of the support that we've gotten into savings to anticipate that transition of drop-off. But that's a little bit of where we're at as a church right now. We're really dependent on the generosity of many people giving to God's work. We did a sports camp last uh, fall, and that was very costly. We've, we've looked at that outreach from a few different angles, but I will say that it was very expensive. And it takes money. It takes dollars to do a week-long program. We didn't charge families in the neighborhood, you know, a near fraction of what it would actually cost. We heavily subsidized what the cost was. And amazingly, one of the families that started attending as a result of that outreach, they've begun to... To, to be a part of our church, to grow and experience the community here. And in return, they've started making regular contributions back into the ministry. It's amazing to see that, you know, sometimes when we make a financial investment as a church, by faith, doing something that may be really expensive, sometimes the resources that we need for the future are in the harvest. That, you know, money comes from our congregation, uh, that we use for sports camp, we bought just practical things like basketballs, or we rented light generators for the fields. Uh, stuff just costs money. We also spend money at times on advertising like door hangers, flyers that go out to let people know and invite people to our church. Last week, we shared a brief testimony from a woman named Anna, and she received an invitation from her neighbors, and she got one of our door hangers that we printed, and you know, those flyers, I will say, are also very costly. The, the door hangers especially require a lot of manpower and uh, money for them to be printed and, and, and purchased. And uh, that, so the woman, Anna, one of many, by the way, but she, she came to church and she eventually committed her life to Jesus Christ, became a follower, and got baptized last year. And it's amazing that, you know, Something practical that we spent money on was part of the chain that brought 
phenomenal life change. And so, you know, we can see that it takes, it takes a significant amount of money for God's work to get done through a church like this. So your sacrifice in giving here leads to lives being changed. All of this, all of the things that we have going on and what's been built so far, it just can't happen without spending money. So that's why this is one of our core values as a church. Heart attitude number six, support the work financially. This is why this is one of our core values as a church. Support the work financially. Heart attitude number six. Uh, this heart attitude does not specify a, an amount or a frequency, but it does say, hey, I'm gonna, I'll do something to give. We've got a membership class coming up soon, and each person that wants to commit to being a member of Valley Lights will evaluate themselves on all of the heart attitudes, all seven, and when they get to this one, uh, being part of the team means that they'll start giving something if they haven't already. And there are some that give a full 10% of their income to God, and that is called the tithe. And I, I really do believe that 10% is the baseline for receiving God's help and blessing in our finances. Time and time again, I've seen that Tithing is truly a real benefit to people. So I, I, I do encourage that. But tithing, a, a full tithe can feel like a staggering amount of money because let's just imagine that someone makes $80,000 per year, which is pretty well below the average for our city, by the way. Um, so if, if someone makes um, 80000 80, then over a year, they would tithe $8,500 to the church and that comes out to about $700 a month. Now, you might make more or less than $80,000, but, but anything near $700 a month to just give away? <laughs> That's Are you serious, God? Like, is that, is that really the standard? Well, being typical Americans with a lot of bills, one of our challenges ongoing is, man, we got to, first, to be responsible, we've got to get a hold of our, expenditures and our spending so that we can give. But it's very common that a person might want to wait and hold back on giving to God until I've eliminated some of my debts and I've got a little bit more breathing room and I can start giving then. But hanging back and waiting, that really just puts us at risk of having God blow away our income, as it says in Haggai. And we might get to the point where I can't, I can't figure out where all my resources keep going. Like, how is my money getting eaten up? Now, if a tenth of your income is way too scary, but you do want to get started, start with a smaller percentage, something less than 10%. Give, and then ask God to bless it. Ask God to, to help you with that. And as you see God come through and your confidence grows, increase the percentage and you might get to 10%, or maybe you've been there already, and it would be important to know that 10% is not a limit, by the way. That's actually, that's actually just the starting point, almost like training wheels at a point. And as God blesses, we can grow our giving beyond that. There's actually a book that we've been using for where a lot of the content for this message has come from and for the series. Uh, if you're reading along in this book and you get to the chapter on this heart attitude, you'll, you'll read numerous stories of people who started giving beyond 10%. Um, you know, so maybe they went to 15%. And there's some pretty amazing results because of all of these principles about 
how God and generosity and money work. And if you're new to Valley Lights, you might be wondering, what in the world did I just walk into? <laughs> I started listening to this podcast or watching this video, and the first thing I heard about was money. Well, in some ways, you've walked into a family talk. This message is especially for people who call Valley Lights their church home. This message is also set within the bigger context of those core values that create a kind of culture and community that's very effective and also very enjoyable to be a part of. This is just one piece of the puzzle that makes the whole thing work. And, you know, on, in our Sunday morning service, baskets will be passed. And there's not going to be an expectation, though, that visitors give. And it's really my hope that no one gives out of a sense of guilt or begrudging. But for others who are listening and watching, it may be that God's tugging on your heart. And if that's you, don't shrug it off. He may be getting your attention and leading you towards a richer experience with Him. So what do you think God's asking you to do? You might take a next step. You might say, all right, I need to begin giving 10% of my income in tithing. Or you might say, I'm not there yet, or maybe I I'm, am I'm there, but either I, I need to increase my giving wherever I'm at, or maybe I need to automate my giving. Some people use uh, bill pay or recurring giving options through our website to automate it so that it's easier not to forget to make sure God gets off the top of our income. Or here's a practical next step. Maybe I need to ask someone for help in getting a grip on my spending. Uh, maybe you're not skilled in budgeting or planning or reconciling, and there's some at our church that could really be a help. Or there may be some other next step that you feel like God is putting on your mind. For those of us that have decided to follow Jesus, we have been welcomed into God's family. We've been given greater blessing than any of God's earlier people. Many of the Israelites that, you know, we talked about their story, they, they tithed 10% of all that they had. And they trusted God, not even totally knowing all that God would eventually do. The Old Testament prophets, they, they inquired and really could only guess about the thing that we have experienced, full salvation through the promised Messiah. So to me, the question is not, do I really have to tithe? But the question I ask is, since, since I have been given greater blessing than those before Christ, should I do less or more than they did? And I would say more. So we give not out of duty, we give because we get to join the Almighty God in His incredible work that He's doing in the world. How amazing that He lets us get a piece of the action by making real, tangible contributions. So far, we have covered the first six heart attitudes. Number one was put the goals and interests of others above my own. Number two, live an honest, open life before others. Number three is give and receive scriptural correction. Number four is to clear up relationships. Again, these first four help us have very strong, enjoyable relationships with each other. And then we looked at participate in the ministry, number five. And number six, support the work financially. If you've missed any of those messages, go back and listen and watch, because these really are the revolving point for how our church works. Next week, we are going to look at the last crucial practice for us to team together. And if you thought today's topic was challenging, Next week might be even tougher, <laughs> and it might even be tougher for me to talk about. I'm not even going to tell you what it is, 
But I will say, when it's implemented along with these other values, man, as a church, we can be very effective in our mission and we can find that the journey together is very enjoyable. So I hope you join us next week. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for letting us join your work. Thank you for the resources that you provide us, and we acknowledge you as the owner of all things. Would you help us to release that tight grip that we tend to have on our finances and to really trust you, to honor you with our money, and to experience a dynamic faith as you come through and we participate in what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For those listening online today, if you would like to support Valley Lights in some way right now, make a contribution you can give. And again, that money that we receive goes towards the mission of helping people find God and learn how to walk with Him. Giving to our church is a way that we give back to God for the many ways that He's provided for us. So you can donate now by clicking the giving button on your screen or going to the give page on our website. Another great way to connect with us is to fill out a connection card. Only takes about a minute, but you can use that card and form to let us know about anything going on in your life, uh, ways to let us pray for you. It's really a great way to start a conversation. You can access that card on your screen right now as well. Hey, I'm really glad that you joined us today. I hope it was helpful, and thank you for taking some time out to join us for church.